And now, Fran Blomberg. Yes. Tied down way too much this morning trying to do this. Yeah, the real friend. Who remembered a watch tonight? Pity the poor morning service when I had no idea what time it was or how long I was talking. Working out the glitches, folks. We're working out the glitches here. Well, I have to let you know right off the start that I am breaking a cardinal rule of scum preaching tonight because it's supposed to be very personal. Tell me your story. Make it real by sharing your own experience. And I have absolutely no intention of telling you my stories tonight. Um, I am going to be talking on a very tough subject, the subject of betrayal. And this is part of a series that we've been doing as a staff for a couple months now, a series that we've been called Rants and Redemption. And I am not necessarily going to share my rant stories, but I hope you hear pretty clearly throughout um, how I have handled betrayal in my life and how I would recommend scripturally, biblically, theologically, logic according to God, how you handle it. Um, law courts will give us some ideas on how to handle betrayal. Um, psychologist, pop psychology, Dr. Phil, will give us other ideas on how to handle betrayal. Politics gives us some ideas on how to handle it. Tonight, I want us to think about how to handle it theo, theologically, from God's perspective, from Scripture. Um, betrayal, to me, involves three significant elements. First of all, there is a, a behavior that was absolutely unexpected, gut-wrenching, punch you, take your breath away, you didn't expect it to happen. Betrayal is deliberate, it's intentional, it's planned, it's premeditated, it's not a stupid mistake. Everybody makes those once in a while. But betrayal is worse. Betrayal hurts because it's a person you never expected it from. That's almost by definition. Um, and it could be anybody. It could be parent, siblings, boss, co-worker, teacher, uh, parole officer, judge, um, person in authority over you somehow, pastor, priest. Um, it comes unexpectedly. You can't believe it happened, and you can't believe they did it to you. And the third area that betrayal really hits us in is that it makes us question ourselves. I can't believe I didn't see it coming. How could I be so stupid? Why was I so trusting? Well, because I didn't cover my back because I didn't think I had to with this person or in this situation. So betrayal has a horrible behavior, the shock of a person that you trusted, and then the self-doubt that comes with it. How, how could I have been taken in? I, I, I don't trust other people. I don't even trust myself. What is going on here? I've been betrayed at different times over my life. You have your stories. I have mine. Um, I'm not going to share them personally tonight. Because like one of the things that I'm really bent on in my life is reconciliation and redemption. 
even after betrayal. So I'm not telling my stories tonight because I've worked my butt off to reconcile with people. And they may be listening to this sermon tomorrow on the podcast, so I'm not telling their stories or mine. And as much as I think I've gotten over this and gotten it under control, I could break down in tears in a heartbeat. I would ask anybody who was upstairs with me earlier this afternoon, even thinking about coming down and preaching tonight. So, to forego the drama, <laughs> and to protect the, not even the innocent, but protect those who I have reconciled with, um, not my stories, but the story of David, the story of King David in the Bible. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about his life, but I just want to give this disclaimer, first of all. I know some people think that the Bible is, you know, a lot of nice little fairy tales and wishful thinking on the part of those subjective people that maybe they could write a bunch of stuff that made them seem more important or, you know, maybe the Bible is just, you know, a set of literature meant to oppress people with all those rules and do's and don'ts. But I don't see the Bible that way. I see the Bible as my family history. I'm a child of God. This is a book inspired by God. Stories artfully crafted by those whom God chose to write them for us. And so, I'm not a dope. I can learn from these stories. I don't necessarily have to go to the parts of the Bibles that clearly say, you should do this, you should do that. Don't do this, don't do that. I can figure it out from the stories. Y'all know in your family, if you saw your siblings get into trouble for something, you probably had the sense not to try the same thing. You found your own random mischief. I can look in scripture and say, wow, this worked for David, and this did not work for David. So I get ideas. And David is the story, his life story is one of betrayal after betrayal. If you really want to look it up, it starts in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and goes on for a couple books if you want to read the story of David. But this guy, let me just summarize some of the things that happened to him in his life. Okay, Prophet Samuel receives a word from the Lord that somebody, one of Jesse's sons, should be crowned king. So he goes to Jesse's house, and Jesse parades all the sons in front of him, and Samuel looks at them one by one, about seven of them, and says, I'm not feeling it. Huh? You got any other sons? And Jesse says, oh, yeah, there's David. I forgot David. He's out of the fields. We made him a shepherd. His own father overlooks him, forgets to invite him to the interview process. David is indeed the one that God had picked out to be king. His brothers had absolutely no respect for him either. Still, when all the older brothers were off to war, and David was the youngest, David one day had to bring them supplies and food, because that's how armies worked back then. <coughs> and he got there, and the little army camp was all in uproar because they had these battles going on, Israel versus the Philistines, and um, Israel was convinced they were going to lose. And David hears the whole story and says, well, I'll go out and fight Goliath. And they're like, you twerp, you little punk? Of course you can't. Who are you? Get out of here, you're embarrassing us. This is humiliating. Go back home. But you know the story even from Sunday school. David, the sharpshooter, who's been out protecting the flocks all these years, takes a sling and boom, one shot, Goliath goes down. That gets the attention of the current king, King Saul, who takes David into his court, and not too long after, completely turns on David. David is popular. David is 
growing in authority. People are listening to David. Saul is outright jealous. So Saul sends his armies after David. Talk about betrayal. Come live with me. I want to kill you. Literally. David is on the run. David knows you know, the call of God is on him to be king, but the current king is chasing him down to kill him. All through the Judean wilderness, into the caves, you know, across the streams, hiding, fighting. Several times David would go into a city and um, explain what was going on to the people, and they would say, oh yeah, David, we'll hide you. We'll hide you and your men. It's cool. You know, we're not going to tell anybody. Just remember, you know, when you're king, remember, you know, we protected you. And they would turn right around and notify Saul of where he was. And the Psalms are full of these stories of this grief of betrayal over and over again. Eventually, David becomes king. His family life is screwed up royally. In the first place, he had several wives. That was probably the first of his problems. You know, if you come to the marriage seminar, I think you're going to be advised that one is about all you may be able to handle. Well, anyhow, David's family, his daughter, Tamar, was raped by her half-brother, Ammon. Tamar's full brother, Absalom, kills Ammon. And then in great embarrassment and shame and guilt, he flees and Absalom mounts this plot to take over his father's throne. So Absalom betrays his father and mounts an army to take over David's throne. Bad enough, but David's chief advisor, his head of staff, a close companion, is feeding Absalom information about David's particular personal weaknesses, his military weaknesses. He's feeding him every bit of information possible. He is betraying David. David is intent on not harming his son, Absalom, in all this, and gives orders that Absalom is not to be harmed. David's general, Joab, gets a chance and kills the son, Absalom. And then, reams David out because David is mourning and it's embarrassing the troops. And David ought to shape up and be a better king. So you can see David's life is messed up. I mean, he suffered betrayal after betrayal, and he, he did his own fair share. I mean, one of the stories that we know well about David is David and Bathsheba. David sees Bathsheba. David wants Bathsheba. David takes Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant. Problem. Um, David has Bathsheba's husband killed in order to be able to marry Bathsheba and save shame for everybody, including himself. So David knew both sides of betrayal. And so I think with, you know, whether, like I said, whether it's a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a boss, David knew betrayal up one side and down the other. And so I think his story can stand pretty fairly for us. David the warrior, David the king, was also David the musician and the poem writer. And so he was the one who wrote a lot of the psalms that we have. And that's why we can look tonight at Psalm 55 to see an example of how David responded in the midst of all this betrayal. I think in the psalms overall that David wrote about betrayal, we can find four common themes. He always calls out to God. He always laments. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. That's, that's pretty true, Ben. That's about how he cries out. He always laments. He names the situation. He's not pussyfooting around saying, oh, maybe it's not that bad, or I could buck up under it. He names how horrible the situation is. 
because he trusts that God will take care of it. David always confesses, because in my life I know, and maybe in yours too, if you're not immediately part of the problem that caused the betrayal, your first reaction is probably not the most godly, and sometimes more than your first reaction. Somehow, part of the problem with betrayal is it gets us complicit in the sin, because it just drags us down. So David calls on God, he names the situation, he laments the injustice that's going on, he confesses, and he always expresses hope and praise in God. And we'll see in Psalm, let's look at Psalm 55. Has a little heading there, because these psalms were actually used in public worship. These are psalms used in worship, and it's meant to have a little bit of a teaching effect as we read through it. So, you're not stupid, I'm not stupid, let's look at what David does, and then let's follow the example through. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, because they bring down suffering and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshippers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. Evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call out to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them, because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. Can you pray with me for a second before you look through this? Father, I thank you that we have David's story. For all the good and the bad, we see it as a story of redemption. We see it as a story of a person just pouring their heart out to you. And we are grateful we can do that, even when our words are not as profound as his, when they're confused, when they're mixed up, when we can barely get the words out, when we just want to scream. 
the Father, as we look at this, as we think about how we respond to people who betray us, who would you be with us? Protect hearts. I pray that hearts are open enough to hear your word, but not so open that the wounds are just flooded again. So be with us now. Amen. Yeah, I meant to mention before I read this, uh, one of the things about grief or this kind of um, lament is that it doesn't come out neatly and in order. So I hope you kind of caught that even as I read through it. Um, it's like, well, Lord, I have something to say to you. Amen! And he gets all excited. Okay, you know, this is what I'd like you to do, Lord. Confound their speech and give them to hell. And I, know I could take this from an enemy, but how could my friend do this to me? So you see, it's all mixed up, and that's okay. You know, when our words are just so messed up, we can't even get them out in straight order, God is okay with that. He gave us the emotions that we have, and He is the appropriate one to direct them back to. Probably better than kicking the dog or, you know, throwing the cat out the window or something, as tempting as that might be. God can handle the emotions that He gave us, and I am glad He can. I think even as you hear me talk tonight, my comment on this this morning, He said, Friend, there are times when you know you were really into it, and then there are times when you were just flat. And I said, yeah, that's what happens when you talk about betrayal. You know, sometimes you can just talk about it, and other times, like, I'm an apostle. I'm all closed back up on myself, so maybe you'll hear that in me tonight. And if I'm droning a little bit, pay more attention, because that's where I'm hurting the most. And if I'm just screaming, then I'm just screaming. Yeah, so. But um, let's... What I want us to do, because it's kind of mixed up in order, we're going to, for the most part, we'll go through it, but there'll be a little bit where we do it section by section. So let's look at this very first part of the steps that, if we imprint them in our mind, I think they'll help us when we deal with betrayal. Um, first part is just verse 1 and 2. Oh my God, is what David says. But when he says that it isn't so much just a throwaway, it is a prayer. There is urgency here. He is shocked. He's been punched in the gut, stabbed in the back. He has been betrayed, and it has come to his attention. And his first thought is not. The warrior's first thought is not revenge. The king's first thought is not go to the courts. His first thought is, oh my God. What an orientation. What a way to orient ourselves to dealing with this. Listen to my prayer, O oh God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me. Answer me. Um... And he's not going to God sort of with a, hello there, customer service, what the hell are you doing? You know, it's, this is a genuine humility. God, I'm broken. I'm broken from what I just learned. I'm broken from what's happening. I'm not even going to try to take this into my own hands. Oh my God. I think to have that as your first response takes a lot of discipline. My first thought is, what the heck is going on here? But to have that first response of the discipline of turning to God, that I'm a disciple. Hey, connection there. Disciples have the discipline of turning to God. He goes into a long section, um, still in verse 2 all the way to verse 15, where he is lamenting. Now, lamenting, I don't think is the same as whining because it's not self-centered. With his focus on God, David is able to say, Okay, what's right and wrong in this situation? What is just and unjust in this situation? 
A lament calls into account what is genuinely wrong with our world. Not just, oh my gosh, my little preferences have not been satisfied tonight. This is unjust, and David's going to name it. Um, and he, again, you can see the different changes in emotions. He starts out so mild. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught. Yeah, a little bit more than that. My enemies are saying things. They're slandering me. They're threatening me. My whole kingdom could come crashing down on me. The anger is overwhelming me. He is very honest with God. And I have to admit, there are sometimes, I want to pretend it's not really happening. Not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. This is not happening. This is not happening. And I would rather go into denial than to face the fact that this crap is really happening. Something very unhealthy is in my life, and I've got to respond to it. Um, something terrible has happened, and I can't go on pretending. Um, because betrayal is not a stupid mistake. We all make stupid mistakes. But betrayal has an intent to hurt that we should be very, very cautious around. In verses 4 and 5, he continues naming how he really feels. He's in anguish, in turmoil. He's terrified of death. He has fear and trembling. This is a great king. I mean, I mean, you've seen all the rhetoric going on in our presidential campaign. You think one of the candidates is going to stand up there and say, really, guys, I'm scared to death of leaving this country. But David has the courage to pour out to God what is really going on. He's not one of these buck-up-I'm-strong-enough guys. He's not afraid to tell God. He is not afraid to let God know how he really feels. In verses 6 to 8, he has an idea, and we all do. If I could just get out of here, just get out of here. I think here in Denver, we want to go to the mountains, right? And just get out of here, get to the mountains, peace and quiet, relaxation, get away from people. Well, David had that thought too, but for him it was the wilderness. I mean, he was... Um, a, you know, a warrior who had hidden in the caves and knew the terrain, and he was comfortable alone in the desert. He could handle alone like that. But the problem with this is... Nope, go ahead back. <laughs> the problem with running away is he's trying to take it into his own hands. You know, if he had done this, if he had run away, he would not be working with God to sustain him and implant justice in the midst of this terrible situation. So yeah, it is tempting to run, but he's not going to do it. He's not going to take it into his own hands. He's going to trust in God. He's not going to run from the circumstances, even if God doesn't fix the circumstances. He is with God in it. And in his character, he is going to try his best to work with God to bring some semblance of justice into the midst of this horrible situation. And in 9 to 11, then he names what he wants God to do. And again, at first it sounds, you know, kind of mild, like, oh, God, confuse the wicked, confound their words. And that doesn't sound too bad. But, you know, he's basically saying, Lord, if they just couldn't even talk to each other, I mean, maybe for us it would be, bring down the networks, Lord, so they can't even communicate. Um, so he is thinking of something serious here, but he's going to get a lot stronger in what he asks God to do. And, and he uses these references to cities because back in the day, cities, just like they are now, are sort of considered to be places of intrigue and suspense and, you know, the 
crowds that are more abusive than friendly. So he, he does have this sense of, I am surrounded. I'm in, I'm in a situation that's surrounded by this intriguing drama. Um, I would love to just get away from it all. But I'm going to stick through it with God. I'm going to let God bring me through. I'm not going to pretend everything is fine or that nothing happened. I'm not going to overlook this horrific offense. But I'm not going to flee from it either. I trust God to be strong enough to sustain me in it. And then he totally switches subjects, which often happens when you're pouring your heart out, and you're in grief and shock. You just abruptly change, and all of a sudden he's off the topic of what he wants God to do, and he's describing in two different sections here that we'll look at together why he is so incredibly shell-shocked by this. It's really not an enemy. It wasn't someone he anticipated standing up to him. This was a friend. A close friend. Worse than that, this was a spiritual companion. Someone with whom I enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. As we walked together among the worshipers. Never happens, does it anymore? In our day and age? Christians never turn on Christians, betray a Christian. A believer never harms another believer. To me, that's just, it is absolutely gut-wrenching. You know, and I know, I know, it is shocking. And I've seen people, I mean, I think of a story I heard recently of a guy literally escorted from work shouting, I thought you were believers here! Well, Christians are not exempt from sinning. But what I really appreciate about David's attitude is that he never confuses Christians or in his case, he never confuses people who believe in God with God himself. In all of this, his faith and trust in God is steadfast. He can make that distinction even in the midst of horrific pain and betrayal. He doesn't question the character of God despite what God's people have done. He names this friend as a betrayer who has violated the covenant, broken promises, broken commitments, stabbed him in the back, turned on him. And he, he lets us know that, again, like I said, this is, this is not accidental. It's as if the betrayer has so practiced being deceitful that they can turn it on you, turn their arguments on you, make you think you're just crazy. Maybe you've had that experience where somebody is so capable of lying and so capable of twisting the stories. Their words are so smooth and their arguments seem so logical that you leave the discussion thinking, wait a minute, am I, am I crazy? I, and that's where we really need each other. We really need each other to give us that check to say, um, no, you, you, that's part of the deception and part of the betrayal is that, that smoothness in just turning the argument right around so that you think you're to blame. David knew that kind of suffering. Maybe you've known it too. I've known that. So in 15, verse 15, now we see David really let loose. Let death take my enemies. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. Evil finds lodging among them. And again, he's, he's not pussyfooting around this. He's not saying, well, you know, maybe I should get 
chance. Well, you know, oh, I just don't want to get involved. No, I mean, this is unjust. Something horrific is happening. He's calling it out, and he's got the courage to deal with it. And again, what I appreciate about it here, David the king, David the warrior, is not going to take this into his own hands, although he has the resources to put down any rebellion that is going on in his kingdom. Sometimes we actually have the resources to take revenge into our own hands. And it is stinking hard to not do what you could do just because you could do it if it is the wrong thing to do. Taking your hands off and leaving it in God's hands to deal with. And really, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there is nothing that David wished on his enemies that God would not share with him. This is something I think we need to understand, that God suffers with us when we suffer. When injustice hurts us, God grieves with us. When we are betrayed, God knows what that feels like. In the Old Testament, God was betrayed over and over by the idolatry of his people. God talks about being divorced from his people. God understands betrayal. Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by one of the twelve apostles. He knew what it was like to have a friend turn on him, and then to have the crowds turn on him. He knew what it was like to have enemies who sucked up to him one day and turned off him the next. God understands, and I honestly believe God grieves with us when we grieve. So we needn't be afraid that we're not living up to God's expectations or we're not putting on a good enough Christian face when we're suffering because God is crying alongside of us with the injustice that goes on in this world. And let's look. Let's look and see how, um, how David speaks to God about God. This is, um, oh, thank you. We'll do that first. One of the elements that's not too present in this psalm is that element of confession. But to show you that it is always in David's heart to assess his soul and his spirit, how he's reacting, as it would be in mine, because if I'm not immediately complicit in what caused this in the first place, somehow or other I'm going to get sucked into a sinful attitude or action. So I just wanted us to look at a couple other passages that are psalms from David to show us that overall picture that David is not afraid to confess that he's getting sucked into this situation. So in Psalm 7, Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Next song. I like this one. This is, this is one easy enough to memorize and repeat. I like to use this as my self-check, even in the midst of a conversation. 
when I don't know whether it be appropriate to answer with a fur word or a kind word or really let the person know what I think or withhold my thought. This can be my prayer, as David had. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. One more example from another Psalm of David. Why did I put a heading on this? No. Did we miss one? One, Psalm 7, Psalm 139. Okay, never mind. Never put that third Psalm in there. Um, David knew how to confess, and I've got that here, and I'll, I'll read that one to you. It's from Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Guys, I think it is awesome that we serve a God who we can count on to forgive when we confess. If you have ever tried to extract a confession from a child who did something wrong, you know if they are too scared of the consequences, there is no way they will admit to it. But if they see you as fair, if they know from history with you that you will be just, that you love them, and that you're not going to immediately smack them down, they are more willing to come forward and admit that they need help in overcoming whatever little foible the child did. And aren't we like that with God? We can have the courage to confess that we are involved in this problem because we can trust that God is faithful to forgive us when we say, I'm getting sucked in. I'm so angry right now. I have my finger on the dial to press the button to call the lawyers. I have my finger on the trigger. I don't know. But God will forgive us for the temptations that we have and for the sins we involve ourselves in. Let's look at David's attitude toward God now. He is so confident. I call to God, God saves me. I cry out in distress, God hears my voice. He rescues me. He outlines almost as a reminder for himself some of the characteristics of God that help him most. God who is enthroned from of old. Oh, we're talking about a mighty, mighty king here. Far more mighty than David. Who does not change. I love that about God. That as my circumstances go up and down, as my emotions go back and forth, God doesn't change. He is bent toward redemption. There is no cesspool, there is no hellhole that God is not willing to invade with redemption and reconciliation. Whatever the situation, as horrible as it is, God will be there with a power and a love greater than the terror and the disgustingness of the situation. And David is confident of this character of God. So in the midst of what appears to be a tragic betrayal, he is confident that God is stronger still. He says, let's go on to the next slide. 
Another one of those little easy-to-remember verses. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Well, I don't know about you, but I have sure been shaken. I have been more than shaken. I have been flat out knocked down at times. And so this verse confused me for a long time until I began to understand that as much as I am a child of God, to some degree God has given me characteristics like himself. He has given me his, I'm sorry Mike, I'm going to say the word, righteousness. Five dollar seminary word. He has given me his rightness. He has put on me a stability of his love and his devotion toward me that in that I cannot be shaken. I don't know, maybe it's something like cement covering jello. I'm inside, shaken away, but I am covered with the security of God. In that sense, the righteous, those who have that relationship with God, cannot be shaken because his strengths are our strengths. David is so confident in this that he concludes by saying, I will trust in you. So David, we can go to that last slide, David calls on the Lord. That immediate, oh my God, is the start of a prayer. David is not afraid to name the situation. To tell it exactly as it has happened without dramatizing it, overdoing it, without fear. He is not afraid to show God his emotions. He is not afraid to call for justice knowing that God himself is just and will judge. But he never takes it into his own hands. I just find uh, he does confess any part he might be playing in this ongoing problem, and he praises God. And I just want to repeat again, even if the betrayal you found yourself in was because you were in a situation that you would rather God not know about, God's love for you, his willingness to pursue you with his grace, will go anywhere. God is not saying, well, how much of the blame was yours? Or, oh, let's, let's divide this up, let's figure out the percentages. Who should I show more grace to? The one who goes, oh my God, in all genuine prayer, will hear the response of God. There is nowhere God won't go in pursuing you. There is nothing you can do that is so so much a turn off to him that he won't follow you right there and work with you for redemption out of that. How do I know I'm getting over it? How do I know, this I'm getting a little personal here, how do I know if I'm really getting a handle back on my life? If I'm in some way able to forgive? Well, first of all, let me tell you, I can forgive somebody, but they still have to deal with God. I see it, like Mike said last week, when Mike talked about the husband and wife relationship. Um, you know, a spouse does something you don't like, you just duck and get out of the way and let God deal with them. And I see that should be a model for us in all our relationships. Um, 
thought of this analogy here. We have the cross here. We always have the person preaching here, and we always have John Swanger sitting right there. We count, on, we count on those three things at Scott. So, if I, for instance, had had a, a problem with John, and I stand here just staring at John, and I'm getting into it with John, and I'm angry with John, and I'm letting John know, and he's throwing it back at me, you know, we're two stupid humans trying to figure this out on our own. But if I turn around and face the cross, and get my eyes on God, maybe even get on my knees, I can get out of the way and let God deal with John. <laughs> and I seriously do advise, you know, this idea of, you know, forgiving is not overlooking. It's forgiving is saying there is some so crap here that needs to be dealt with. It needs a forgiveness. And no, that wasn't just a mistake, and I'm not worry about it. Forgiveness calls out the severity of the offense. But I do recommend that when you forgive, you get out of the way so that God can deal with the person. I'm sorry for you. I you I know I'm dealing with a situation when, I, when I'm dealing with a sense of betrayal, I have a um, few key questions I ask myself. Can I tolerate being in the same room as that person? Do I have to wait for the room dramatically screaming? Or can I, just, can I just be civil? Can I be civil in the presence of someone who's betrayed me? If so, God gets the glory. Can I tolerate hearing that person spoken well of? Because my enemy may still have a thousand friends and admirers. There's not too many people in the world that are all bad, even though every one of us is capable of hurting another person significantly. So if I hear someone who has betrayed me being well-spoken of, can I just quietly let that go and appreciate that there are good qualities there? Or do I feel like i got to step in and say, oh, 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 no, 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 you got to know, you got to know. And do I just keep the wounds open all the way around? And the third little test I like to give myself, it's a little bit um, funny, I like to imagine myself getting to the pearly gates of heaven and look who's standing next to me. Am I willing to share heaven with an enemy who sincerely repents and has a relationship with God? I mean, that might be a good one for us here in the church. When another believer so hurts you, do you really, you know, it's not do you believe that person can get over it. Do you believe God has the power to bring about reconciliation in their life? And do you mind sharing God's heaven with them? If I can imagine myself at peace in the person's presence, then I know that God is working in me. And in my life, I haven't always gotten there just by, I mean, don't tell me about self-talk or wishful thinking. Um, there are times when I have certainly needed close companions to talk to, to get a perspective. Is it me or is it him? Am I crazy? Is it, am I nuts? Is it them? Did this really happen? What just happened here? I need to talk to people, and talking to people is good. Um, you know, try to keep it away from gossip and keep it in a genuine attitude of humility. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'm tired of it. I've 
bumped it up a level a number of times myself and actually gone to counseling because my view of counseling is it's having a really great conversation with a professional talker who can cut through my crap, give me a larger perspective of who's nuts, who's not, and I highly recommend it. And anyone here, I know all of us on staff have a good number of ideas of professional counselors who are great conversationalists. And if you want, they'll talk God with you. And if you want, they won't talk God with you. That's your call. So, you know, do, do seek out a staff member. If you want any further ideas on how to get beyond just your own self-conversation, if these things are difficult for you. We're going to wrap up now, and during the last worship set, we will have people in the prayer cave, that room down there with all the lights aren't all on, that room I'm pointing to. If you want to pray with someone now, you are welcome to. And um, thank you all. Invite the worship team back up. <laughs> 